Um, Steve's already mentioned it, but as a church, we're doing a series on prayer, uh, learning to pray with the Apostle Paul. So maybe if you've never prayed before and you want to find out why Christians pray or what they pray, this might be particularly helpful for you. But if you're trying to relearn, grow, this is a great place to go. The prayers that are in the Bible, that's how many of us learn. But maybe here's a little thought exercise, maybe with the person next to you, or if you're uh, a note taker, you can write this down. How would you finish this sentence? I have not stopped praying for you, asking that. So a, a friend, family member, whoever it may be, says to you, I have not stopped praying for you. What, how would you like that sentence to be finished? Just, just have a think for a wee moment. I know we're all terrified of silence, but have a think. How would you finish that sentence? I have not stopped praying for you. I'm also terrified of silence. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure for many of us, whenever we think about that, we almost want that, that sentence to be ended with something about good health, um, maybe family concerns, maybe uh, something with COVID going away forever, maybe success in, in work or in studies. But, but today, as we look in Colossians, we're going to find out who Paul, Paul finished that prayer. Paul, one of the, uh, who wrote a quarter of the New Testament, a, a really important figure in Christianity. This is, what, this is how he finishes the prayer. We're going to learn six lessons this morning as we look at this book, Colossians. And everything that we're going to look at today is in Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you're going to be flicking back and forth in Colossians. Six lessons. I know many of you might be thinking, Matt's on holiday, Dave's gone mad and doubled the amount of points, but it will go very quickly, don't worry. So here are six lessons that we're going to learn from Paul today. And the first lesson that we learn is that Paul prays for people he's never met before, and so should we. Paul prays for people he's never met before, and so should we. And this first lesson sets a wee bit of context for us. Because Paul, who's writing this letter, has never met these Colossian believers. Can, can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine writing a letter to someone that you've never met? Now, you, you might have sent an email potentially at, at work or on social media or like a dating app. You might have messaged someone through that and you've never met them before. But, you know, you often don't actually sound like yourself. You know, you use all these weird phrases, you know, like, oh, I, I was thrilled to receive your message, like all these little words, and you're like, I never sound like this in real life. But actually, when you read this letter, this is what Paul sounds like. And actually, Paul is so detailed because he's heard from his friend Epaphras. Epaphras was this uh, man who'd come with Paul on a ministry journey, and once he uh, had heard about Jesus, the good news of Jesus, he then went back to his hometown Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he founded a church there. He, he told people in Colossae about Jesus. So look down, if you have a Bible, in verse 7, Paul writes, you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So Paul is writing to little baby Christians, and he says that he is so thankful for him. If you read verses 3 to 8, you'll see that Paul is so thankful that there are Christians you know, all over the world, and he is praying for them. So what Paul is writing, what Paul is praying, is obviously very foundational, because they're new in the faith. They're just learning how to walk. And, and he writes to tell them exactly what he's praying. 
But that, that is a bit strange. Well, at least it struck me whenever I read it this week because he is praying for complete strangers. Look, why, why is that so shocking? Well, let's be honest. If we do pray, we often pray for things that are close to home. You know, we might pray for family, for friends, loved ones, and maybe perhaps your neighbors if they're nice. That, that sounds just about manageable. But Paul says, look down at verse 9. Paul says that he has not ceased to pray for them. Paul has not ceased to pray for people that he's never met. If you're anything like me, you're thinking, I could maybe pray once or twice for someone I've never met. But persistent prayers for complete strangers? Really? Because, you know, at least if we're praying for people who are in our family, our friendship groups, you know, we can at least see the prayers be answered, can't we? You know, we get this logic. You know, if I'm going to plant uh, some vegetables, I'm not going to go up to Scotland and start my garden up there and then come back to Wales because I'll never actually see the produce. By the time I get back up there, it'll probably have wilted away. So, so why does Paul, why are we being challenged and encouraged this morning to pray for people we've never met? But Paul shows us later on in chapter one, it's because of who Jesus is. So look down at verses 15 to 18. I'm going to read them to you. This is about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. We should pray for people we may never meet because Jesus is the creator, sustainer, and head of all things. You know, we should pray for complete strangers because we recognize that the church is not just in our postcode. We pray for the global Catholic, a word which means universal church. If, if you think back to last year when we were in Revelation, we, we saw that beautiful scene, didn't we, of heaven, of people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. There, which means heaven isn't just going to be a little Cardiff section within a Wales section. No, it's going to be full of different people, which is why we send missionaries out to Thailand. It's why we partner with organizations who want to make Jesus known in the world and not just in Wales. So, so this morning, the Lord Jesus wants us as a church to have a bigger perspective, to pray, pray bigger things, not just for things on our doorstep. And actually, whenever we have a global Christianity, we recognize that Jesus is building his church elsewhere, not just in our postcode, meaning that we can be encouraged, but it also means that our heart breaks when we see things that are happening in Afghanistan to the local body out there. So first lesson, God, the Lord Jesus, wants us to pray bigger prayers, to pray for people that we've never met before. Second lesson, Paul prays that people would know God's will, and we should do that too. You know, think back to that wee question at the start. I have not stopped praying for you, asking that. You know, if you're anything like me, it will be about health, job security, maybe kids, maybe COVID, but the content of Paul's prayers are so different. This is what he prays for these little baby Christians. He doesn't pray that they'd be safe from persecution or that they'd get a nice building or that they'd have a nice reputation in that community. This is what he prays. Look at verses 9 to 11. He prays to fill you with the knowledge of his will 
through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. You, you might read that and think, surely there are much more urgent things going on in these people's lives. And yet he says this is the most fundamental thing, the most foundational thing, that he will keep praying for them, that they will know God's will. Like your basics in any sport, you know, you're kicking, you're catching, you're passing, you're running. He says this is foundational, to know and live in God's will. And obviously that idea, God's will, is a massive concept for us to understand. We can often think God's will is about, you know, what job we'll do, who we'll marry, how many kids we'll have, and where we'll live. But Paul really helpfully here simplifies what God's will actually is. With this little phrase, look down, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So part of knowing and living God's will is to act and live in a way that pleases God. So Paul prays that these little baby Christians will continue to live lives that please God, which is what we should be praying for one another as a church. But you might be sitting there thinking, what does a life pleasing to God actually look like? Well, if you flick over in your Bible to Colossians 3, you'll see some, some aspects of what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God. So let me read to you. Uh, this is God's will for your life. Let me read uh, chapter 3, verse 5 to you. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. That's pretty tough. <laughs> Let's now read verses 12 to 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. <laughs> that is God's will for your life. Yes, really it is. Which, which, you know, let's pause for a moment because you might think, well, why on earth is God's will for my life so oppressive? Surely it should be something much more fun. Particularly if you're a teenager, you read that and think, why is God's will for me to have no fun? To be absolutely miserable. Well, what, what we need to, to think about here is that whenever we hear about God's will, it, it means his commands, restrictions, laws, the, the things that he wants of his creation. What, what we need to remember is that his laws reflect his heart. So in our context, the laws that this country makes are supposed to resemble what we value as a, as a culture. So we say it's illegal to murder someone, and that's because we value life. So in the same way, whenever we look at those, that long list in Colossians 3, whenever it says, do not be greedy, it's because God is generous. When you look at the world around you, you see he's generous in all the good gifts that he's given us. Whenever he says, don't be sexually unfaithful, it's because he is faithful to his people, which once again is helpful fuel for your prayers, isn't it? Just to remember that God is not about making me miserable. God's ways are to help us flourish, but also to protect us. Maybe that's just what you need to hear this morning. Whatever command it is of the Lord that you are struggling to obey or follow, you need to remember that he wants to protect us and cause us to flourish. But, you know, let's get out of that little side alley. Because maybe if you're like me and you've heard those two lists, you've thought, yeah, get it up here. 
But how on earth does that work once I leave this church building? Which brings us to the third lesson. Paul prays that people would have wisdom and understanding. So Paul mentions that a knowledge of God's will would also come with wisdom and understanding given by the Holy Spirit. So you, you need knowledge, you need that stuff from Colossians 3 that we looked at, but you also need wisdom and understanding. So what is wisdom? Wisdom and knowledge, are they two different things? Um, one of my favorite rugby players once said this, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. There, there's a free, free tip for you say. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. So, no, silly example, obviously. But what, what does that mean? Because we can know that God's will for our life is to live a life pleasing to him, to do all these things. But actually, it's really hard to live out God's will in a world that rejects him, that says the Christian faith is ridiculous and stupid. So we need to pray that we would have wisdom to know how to live in a world that rejects God. So the original people that Paul is writing to, they're being persecuted. They're finding it tough because they were living in a way that was so different to the culture. But as they walked around saying, Caesar is not king, Jesus is king. They had to do that in a wise way that wasn't reckless, that didn't endanger lives, that didn't put people off Christianity. Which means that today, for all the days to come, is something we should be praying for one another as a church. So I've been encouraged in our life group, we've heard stories recently from people who have had it really tough in their workplace because of their Christian faith. So they, they know the knowledge, they know what God desires, what he commands of people's lives, but actually they need wisdom to know how to speak delicately, sensitively, and clearly into those difficult situations. That is something we should be praying for another because it is not straightforward to be a Christian. You, you can't just hide anymore. People will know, and whenever they know, they will ask you questions. And you, you'll, you see now why Paul continually prays this day after day after day for these new Christians, because there's never a day when it won't be hard to obey God's will. There's never going to be, be a day when you don't need wisdom, which then leads us to the next lesson. Paul prays that people would patiently endure. So Paul prays that people would patiently endure, that they would be strengthened so that they would go the distance, that they would last. And whenever we think about that concept of being strengthened, muscles are strengthened so that they can endure the stresses and strains that they're put under. In fact, often muscles come back bigger and stronger when they've been broken down and then they're built back. That, that's often the case for us in the Christian life, isn't it? It's difficult, we struggle, we stumble along, but then our faith grows as we learn to trust in God and not ourselves. Even this idea of patiently enduring, Alan talked to us about it the other week there. The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. We need God to strengthen us for the long term, not just the short term. Which means, you know, so often we want style over substance in the Christian life. We want style over substance. We want the real flashy thing, the thing that, you know, might draw a crowd. When actually the substance is week after week, coming, reading the Bible, hearing it preached, having it applied to our lives in a very testify, like I'm testifying to myself, like not a flashy way. This is not a flashy presentation, isn't it? We need substance and not style. Actually, think about that prayer. Is there anything more countercultural? than praying that people are patient as they struggle. 
like we love you a bit, Clive and Sandra. This has been so difficult for you these past weeks. And that, that's what I've been to encourage, that day after day, whenever we talk, it's help us endure, help us patiently keep going and keep trusting God in this. That is the beauty of the gospel. It's day after day, patiently enduring. We saw that last year in Revelation, didn't we? The saints who faithfully endure to the end. The, the pandemic has shown it to us, hasn't it? We want things immediately sorted or else we give up. So this week, pray for your church, pray for people uh, in Afghanistan, all over the world, that they would patiently endure in the face of overwhelming opposition. But even that idea of patiently enduring might sound a wee bit miserable, doesn't it? Like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, grim and bear it. I'm just gonna be a rock, you know, no joy whatsoever. I'm just gonna last. But, but look at the word that Paul uses, which is our fifth lesson. Paul prays that people would bear fruit. You know, fruit is a word that the Bible uses to describe a life changed by Jesus. And, and as we all know, fruit is a delicious and good thing. But think about that, that word that you pray for other people, that there will be fruit in their life. You know, in this context of Colossians, they were being tempted away by the new latest thing. Paul prays that they would know Jesus' love. And, and by that love, it would bear fruit. Fruit is full of juice, sweetness, and joy. Pray that the, the Christians in this church would be a fruitful people, that are attractive people, that causes others to ask, why are they so happy, joyful, patient in hardship compared to the world? Paul prays that there would be more and more fruit in this church that he's never met. So, I love tomatoes today, I don't know why. I have a tomato, this is from my garden. Maybe that's why I'm so proud of it. Um, it's the only tomato that, that we've got. And do you think I'm satisfied with this one little tiny bit of fruit? It's a fruit, wait. Um, but do you think I'm satisfied with one bit of fruit? No, like I want more. Like I want more, I'm not satisfied with one little bit. And if I am a, a flawed human being, how much more does God want fruit from this church? That, that, that's the encouragement, isn't it? Whenever we pray, God wants more. He wants us to pray more. He delights when we pray. He delights to give fruit to his church. So pray that there would be more fruit. You know, if at all in the past, however long you've been coming along, if you have seen fruit in this church, in a friend, in a life group, vices turned into virtues, sadness turned into joy, slavery into freedom, pray for more because only God can do that. Please pray for more. Why can I say that so confidently that God wants to give us more? Well, it's because of the, the final, the last lesson. It's the reason why Paul prays. It's because the Lord Jesus died so that we may bear fruit. So the sixth and the final lesson, Paul prays and we should pray because of what Jesus has done. This is the reason that we can pray, that we can come to God as our father, because of what Jesus has done. So let me read to you verses 12 to 14 of Colossians 1 again. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Think about that list we looked at earlier, all, all, God's will for your life, all the different things that he commands of his people. But 
Maybe you're aware this week of just how much you failed that list. The thing is, whenever we fail to walk and live in God's will, it means that we are the opposite of what we just read. Whenever we fail to live and act in God's will, we're disqualified. We have no inheritance. We are dominated by darkness. We are enslaved to our sins, and we're not forgiven. I think about that as a, a list of qualifications. You know, God's will as a list of qualifications, that is God's standard to get into heaven. Absolute perfection. This is, this is quite hard to, you know, get in your head. So let me put it in a visual way. We've just had the Olympics. Does it, I'll be really impressed if people know this. Does anyone know the men's long jump record? The men's long jump record? No, I'd be really impressive if you did. It is 8.95 meters. It's held by a man named Mike Powell. He said it in 1991, which, this is five meters. I measured earlier. Um, visually, this is how long five meters is. So, Amy, could you stand up for a moment? So, that's the start of the jump. Johnny, that's the end of the jump. That is, that's 8.95 meters. Like, for context, Mike is still in the air here. Like he's still in the air. He's still going. He's still got a long way to go. Thank you very much. Sit down. <laughs> it's huge. It is absolutely huge, isn't it? You know, even, I don't know who would claim to be the most athletic person here, but even the most athletic person, probably you, Nate, even the most athletic person in this church is not getting near that, even with years of training. It's impossible, isn't it? And think of the jump as your life. Get halfway. You're not, you're not even getting halfway, are you? That, that's God's standard of your life. You're not getting near, Johnny. You're just not. We all know it. If you think about even this morning, the ways that we, we've stumbled and fallen. And yet, you know, that sounds really miserable, doesn't it? Oh, I'm such a failure. I'm, you know, I can't live up to God's standard. But when Paul thinks about the sin in his life, his past, all the stumbles and falls, he bubbles up with joy, with absolute joy. Why does he do that? Because he knows that he was never going to be good enough for God. He could never live up to God's standards. And yet there was one man who lived a perfect life, whose life jumped from there to there, the Mike Powell. The Lord Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, lived in God's will perfectly to the death. He lived out God's will every single second of every day of his life. And he, the Lord Jesus, lived his life so that you may listen to these words, that you may be qualified, redeemed in a new kingdom and forgiven from sins. You know, Paul's final lesson for us on prayer, see it as beauty and not duty. See it as beauty and not duty because the Lord Jesus has made you his child. You get to pray. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. You can pray that you can live in his will and be totally forgiven every single day of your life. That is something that the world cannot offer you. Complete freedom, complete assurance, complete forgiveness in Jesus. How can we not pray? Isn't that amazing how Paul, mid-prayer, is like the gospel. How can I not thank God midway through a prayer? That, that, is, that is glorious. Whenever you see that in a prayer, just mid-flow, mid oh, Jesus is amazing. That is so attractive, isn't it? How could we not pray? How could duty not turn into beauty whenever we consider Jesus doing that spectacular long jump on the cross for us? Let me pray.
Lord Jesus, we covered a lot of ground in not a lot of time. So Lord, we pray that your spirit would uh, make this true to our hearts. Lord, would you help us see the beauty and the glory of what you did for us and what you won for us on that cross. So we thank you that um, we're redeemed, that we have an inheritance, that we're totally forgiven, that we're in a kingdom of light, all because of what you've done for us. Pray that you would help us respond now as we sing. Amen. Amen. We're going to... Um...